It's your Wednesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. Um, great show coming up. Um, so much good content this week. Been furiously scribbling down notes over the last 24 hours. A lot of stuff had to go overboard for a show or two later this week. Um, this show um, still jam-packed, though. Jason Gerwin from The Streamable who's been on a couple different times uh, over the, the course of this podcast to talk about um, how we watch sports on TV. He will help dissect a little bit more the potential impending bankruptcy of Diamond Sports, the parent company that runs all the Bally Sports channels, including Bally Sports North, what that might mean for leagues, what it might mean for teams, what it might mean for the future of watching television, and specifically what that might mean for consumers what's going to be the new model going forward what is the here and now jason did a great job explaining all of that you know he does this of course for a living the streamable covers cord cutting other elements of sports not just on uh, you know not just uh, not just uh, sports but uh, you know tv across across all spectrums but he does a great job breaking down sports um, in this topic so hope you look forward to that here in just a little bit also have some wild thoughts towards the end of the show, and we'll get to the Wolves' sad state of affairs here in just a minute. They got blown out in Denver, but that was not the marquee game on the NBA schedule, and that is where we are going to start with what did I miss? Hope you didn't miss it. You had to stay up late for it, so maybe you did miss it. LeBron James breaks the NBA's all-time scoring record a record that people thought for a long time would never be broken Kareem Abdul-Jabbar um, you know set that record almost 40 years ago and it seemed out of reach because Kareem played for so long scored so many points but LeBron in year 20 of his career of his NBA career breaks that record fabulous game for him uh, of the Lakers against uh, against Oklahoma City breaks it late in the third quarter with a, uh, you know, it was basically a fallaway jumper. He had a monster third quarter, and a uh, game paused for several minutes. LeBron gets lots of hugs, gives the gives thanks to everybody, and it it, it just kind of struck me because it kind of sent me searching back into my own memory, my in the Star Tribune archives because it was almost exactly 20 years ago when LeBron was a high school senior, a phenom that. I pitched to the Star Tribune. I was there back then. I've been there a little over 20 years. I pitched to my editors, hey, you know, LeBron is a big, big, big story. I know he's not exactly part of our market necessarily. He was a high school senior, you know, obviously from St. Vincent, St. Mary's in Akron, Ohio. Um, not exactly part of our market, right? And he probably wasn't going to get picked by the Timberwolves because they were good back then. They were not going to get a lottery pick. They were a playoff team. In fact, that year, um, you know, they were they were, they were quite good. They were a playoff team. So, was not part of our target market, but he was such a big story, such a big national story that I said, you know, we should go, we got to go do this story on LeBron James. So I, I scouted out, you know, where he was going to be. They were, you know, St. Vincent, St. Mary's doing all these national games, not just in Ohio, all across the country. I found a tournament in North Carolina and I said, you know, I can get there, reasonable price, let me go, let me write the LeBron James story. So they sent me there and I was struck immediately just kind of by the hype surrounding LeBron. There was a lot of questions at that point. He, you know, there was a lot of controversy at that point because um, he'd been given, he was driving around a $50,000 Hummer. His mom um, had, had seemingly uh, gotten a lot of money beyond what their means were at the time. Now, right now, obviously, that would be 
a little bit more of a moot point. But back then, it was a big deal. People were really wondering if all the hype was going to go to his head. There were skeptics. There were people saying, ah, he's not going to be that good. There were people who were saying, though, he is the chosen one. He'd already been in the cover of Sports Illustrated. Everything like that was the backdrop for his senior season. I was there right, kind of right in the middle of it, right in January of, 20, of 2003. And it just struck me, thinking back on it, at, at a guy who had so many expectations placed upon him at that point. So many people either saying, you're going to be the greatest or you are going to fail, or you know, maybe not saying that to his face, but expecting the worst for him. When do you ever see somebody who has had those that burden of expectation? When does that person ever fully live up to the hype like LeBron James has in his career? I mean, what what was the biggest controversy of his career? What was it when he was in high school? Was it that he changed teams to the Miami Heat? Like he has been an exemplary model of what it means to be not just an athlete but a superstar athlete a transcendent generational talent on and off the court um so that that part that piece of it struck me just thinking back on what was expected of him at the time what I was writing about at the time what what was you know what was going through my head like how would I handle this if I was 18 he had just turned 18 you know and I was you know I was certainly older than that I was in my my mid-20s but I was only seven eight years older than LeBron at the time, and I'm thinking, how would I handle all this? What would this do to me? How would I be able to, you know, not only become what I was supposed to become in my sport to keep adding different elements to my game? How would I just handle the expectations, the the microcosm of, you know, the the microscope you live under when you were in that life? And it's only gotten bigger and bigger, right? Like 2003, we're not talking about social media back then. We're not talking about you know, you know, cell phone cameras everywhere. We're not talking about, you know, the instant nature of our culture right now. It was starting to get there, but it was nowhere near that. It was still very much an analog culture back then. And now to think about every move scrutinized in a much different way and how LeBron has not only navigated that, but continued to be an excellent top five, top 10 basketball player in his 20th season at age 38. I just, you know, Maybe we just don't appreciate him enough. Maybe that's the maybe that's what I'm getting at right now. We maybe we don't fully appreciate exactly what this career has been, and maybe that was some of what fascinated me about about Tuesday night. Just watching him, watching his reaction, you know, the the tears, the exhilaration, everything that that was kind of flowing through him, just kind of recognizing this moment and understanding what this moment meant. And probably some of it is when you break an all-time scoring record, it probably does hit home that hey, you know. You're probably not going to be doing this all that much longer. I mean, he still looks like he can play for a very long time. But, you know, when you start to break records like that, longevity records, the end is in sight. Maybe some of that was hitting him. Um, Maybe some of it was just the relief, the pressure that had been building up, all the questions, all the stories in recent weeks as as the record got closer. But I could sense a certain amount of relief there. But bigger picture, what a phenomenal athlete. What a phenomenal arc of these last 20 years for LeBron James how impressive he has been how impressive he continues to be and you know just thinking back 20 years ago where this could have gone how he, how his story could have been changed at any moment with any misstep with anything that he could have done along the way and instead here he has arrived at this moment you know almost universally loved i don't know anybody who doesn't like LeBron James 
I don't know anybody. I mean, there's debates over who's the greatest of all time. Sure, we can have those debates. But I don't know anybody who would say, you know, LeBron James. I just don't like LeBron James. Don't don't care for the guy. Like I don't I don't see who that is at this point. Again, there's been moments along the way maybe where he's had has he's had things. We he went to the Heat. Maybe that that rubbed people the wrong way. It did for me at that time. But at this point, you just look over the the arc of his entire career, and all you can do is say, "Wow, what an impressive." Just amazing career arc for this for this once in a generation player, and such a well deserved honor for LeBron on Tuesday night. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With twenty four seven gaming, the good times never have to end, and you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars, or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Got Jason Gerwin from the Streamable on again with me because as he said at the beginning before we even started recording, Diamond Sports and Bally Sports never ceases to continue to make news if it was just one continuous happy stream of uh, of content and programming. We wouldn't talk about it so much, but there's been all sorts of issues over the years with distribution on various streaming platforms. And now, Jason, um, report a couple weeks ago from Bloomberg that Diamond Sports, the parent company, uh, over all of these regional sports networks, um, Sinclair, obviously, the overarching um, company in front of that, um, headed for bankruptcy more than likely and Jason, first of all, welcome. And what what do you imagine that uh, that means for the landscape, whether it's teams, whether it's viewers going forward? So I think there's some misunderstanding what bankruptcy means. Yes, that's uh, very for, true. For for Bally Sports and, and Diamond. I don't think anyone should expect that they go bankrupt, the leagues get all their rights back and everything changes overnight. Um, that's not going to happen, you know. Obviously, there's a reason why bankruptcy exists. It allows um, companies to reorganize and and to figure out what to do with those rights. And there are there is some incentive to even declare bankruptcy. You know, the it allows the Sinclair to get out of some of the provisions of their contract. It allows them to hold on to the rights um, without uh, having to give them back to the league right away. Um, it also allows them to do things with those rights that they might not be able to do with the very basics of their their contract, like being able to re- uh, assign those to another buyer, if if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, I would say immediately bankruptcy, while it seems that bankruptcy means change, it actually, I think, buys Diamond more time to actually figure out what to do with these RSNs. Yeah, it's more of a reorganization of debt than anything else, right? Exactly. And, you know, I've I've talked a little bit on the podcast in the last couple of weeks about kind of how we got here. But essentially, this all goes back to when they bought these RSNs four years ago or so. A lot of debt was part of it. And when the, the revenue started to dry up, it wasn't enough to cover the debt. Is that essentially how we got here? Is the short version of how we got here? Yeah, I think Sinclair bought these RSNs at a time where, you know, cord cutting was starting to happen, but um, they didn't believe it was going to happen as fast as it did. Um, And additionally, they felt that they had strength being able to sell 
their local channels alongside with the RSNs. And in, in fact, that strategy didn't work, right? That's why YouTube TV dropped them and Hulu dropped them and Fubo dropped them. And even though they're back on Fubo and Sling dropped them and Dish dropped them, um, that they just didn't have the market power that they once did. All of these cable operators and and uh, cable distributors realized that if only 10% of our viewers are watching your channels, why are we adding on that cost to right. every consumer when such a small proportion of our, our viewers are actually watching the channels? So I think, you know, they overpaid. They the The leagues are not necessarily blameless in this, right? Like, despite the fact that Sinclair had very little competition for these local rights, local rights kept on getting pushed up and up and up. And so Sinclair would go to cable and satellite distributors and push up their demands for what they were asking for. And the ones that agreed to it, pushed that onto the consumers. And then consumers said, hey, we're not paying anymore. And it it's almost like a death spiral when that happens, where, you know, once consumers say, no, we're not paying for that, the rights decline. And, you know, but there's no way to really get out of those rights because they're long-term contracts. From a team or a league perspective, and again, you say this is a long process, and I agree with that. This isn't something where your favorite team's not going to be on TV tomorrow night because they declare bankruptcy. That's just not how this works. That said, there are some real financial consequences, potentially. How do you see that playing out? Who who is the most potentially impacted here, uh, whether it's by sport, by team, uh, by league, in in your estimation? So... I've looked at the numbers of these, you know, the, the the numbers in these contracts, you know, you can, you'll see the different contracts by teams all over the place. In general, the way I think about it is MLB about um, $2 billion of their $11 billion revenue is from local TV rights. They make about $1.75 billion from national TV rights. So of that $2 billion that is local TV revenue, let's say about seven to $800 million of those are on Bally Sports RSN. So that's about 7% of their overall revenue, right? Like that's not an insignificant number. It's not so substantial that it's going to bankrupt MLB, right? And right. they can also make up some of that if these rights were to disappear, I don't think they'll ever get anywhere near the amount back in either a direct-to-consumer product run by MLB or doing some non-exclusive deal with, you know, another company to air some of the games while they also have a DTC product. So that's one. Um, fortunately for for teams, right? As a fan, I think the biggest league at risk as a result of this is the National Hockey League. If you look at their numbers, you know, their their percentage of revenue is a lot higher tied to these Sinclair RSNs, so almost 10% of, of league revenue. So if you think about that, since there is a hard cap and the cap is based on league revenue, that is the league and as a fan that I would be most afraid of, right? Like if you're a Minnesota Wild fan and, you know, you're already cap constrained and they're unable to raise the cap because revenue is going down because these local TV rights are going down. It has an impact on your ability to sign those players and keep those players. 
So I think as a league, the NHL is most at risk from these local rights right now. Interesting, especially if you're at the Minnesota Wild and you're paying two guys to not be on the team who are counting about 15% of your cap, Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. But that's a story for another day. That's interesting, though. It's something to watch. And you're, what I've read and what I've kind of understand of what you're saying is that if you know if these rights were to go away because of the bankruptcy, they have a right to renegotiate or terminate agreements that whatever takes its place isn't likely to be as lucrative for the leagues and teams just because of the nature of how they would be constructed? Yeah, I think, you know, for lack of a better term, the the league is the one who is ultimately going to have to hold the bag on this, right? Like, if they want to keep these RSNs, they're probably going to have to take less money for these rights, because these rights aren't worth what they once were. Or, uh, if these rights end up not being renegotiated and go to a third party, I find it hard to believe that the leagues are going to be able to make the same amount of money from a direct to consumer product or in combination to let's say selling 20% of all games to, you know, a local TV operator on broadcast TV, maybe, you know, selling it to a streaming service. And then on top of it, sell, you know, holding some of those back for, you know, a league local DTC service. I just don't think the numbers will ever add up to what they were getting paid um, before by someone like Sinclair. So if you're the, if you're the twins, for instance, in MLB and your rights deal is up after 2023, which it is, they have a, they had a 12 year agreement with, with, with Bally's, which was previously Fox sports, but that's up after this year. What, uh, what what's the idea what do you imagine is an ideal solution how, how do you, how would you be proceeding if you were them in terms of thinking about both your short-term future and your long-term future like how uh, i guess what how would a team try to position itself if it's not going to have potentially a contract or doesn't want to get back into a contract even if even if this uh even if this option continues to exist for a while yeah i i I think they're in a very difficult spot. When you look at some of the recent teams that deals ended, I think the Marlins just re-signed a new deal and the NBA, the Clippers did. Um, and the Clippers did something very interesting. And obviously they're owned by Steve Ballmer, billionaire owner, you know, tech guy. He actually made a somewhat non-exclusive deal with um, with Bally Sports, where not only did the rights exist to go on the RSN, but on top of it, he launched his own streaming service called Clipper Vision, where it combined the local OTA rights, which air on KTLA in Los Angeles. It also included subscription to Bally Sports Plus on top of it. And then he sold it at a premium to what Bally Sports Plus is alone. So they're able to own that customer experience on top of that. I think that's an interesting model going forward. I don't know that regardless of that, whether the value of the rights will be able to be the same. But I do think that somewhat non-exclusive deal is kind of the way of the future. I think the M- I think MLB will encourage teams that if they are going to re-sign with someone like Sinclair, that they hold back those streaming rights so it hmm. could be sold to something like MLB TV. You know, someone like Sinclair may say, hey, that these deals aren't worth it. And then, you know, who's the other buyer? Scripps has said that they're trying to get into this market. They they launched a a sports division. So, you know, they potentially could come in. But 
I'm not so sure that anyone's going to want to start with an RSN model. I think someone like Scripps, it seems like more likely that they would be a buyer of a subset of games to air on local affiliates that they own in those markets rather than going and starting a whole new RSN division. So it sounds like things could get a lot more fragmented if you're a consumer, like things could wind up a lot of different places or you could have games here, games there, as opposed to, hey, I know all 82 Wolves games are going to be on Bally Sports North. Is that the the possible future that, that we're headed towards just because of, of the nature of, of how this is shaking out? I mean, we've already started to see that a little bit with national TV, right? I think it's really going to come down to how greedy the leagues are. You know, if they want to use this opportunity to go as fan friendly as possible, having all games similar like Apple's deal with MLS where local, um, local TV rights and out of market rights exist in the same package. Um, That's one way to do it, but they're not going to make nearly as much money that way because you and I both know the number of emails we get from people who don't want to pay $20 a month for something like balance sports plus like, $20 $20 a month for what these rights cost is cheap. As much as a fan doesn't want to hear that, they cannot make a profitable business on $20 a month for this. And the leagues know that. So they're going to have to either subsidize it to live in a single bundle where you get everything, or they're going to have to go the other route where they fragment it as much as possible and try to make as much money from each of those different areas as possible. Um, and while that might be frustrating to the fan, that is probably the closest way to get to the economics that they're seeing today for our sense. Very interesting. A couple more things for Jason Gerwin from the streamable one. You mentioned the Bally Sports Plus, the app that came out a few months ago. I think that was the last time we talked. Do we have any sense of... I think success and failure is maybe the wrong way to frame it, but uh, how that is doing, obviously that was never probably going to be enough to quote unquote save that business. But do we get the sense of, of how that is doing relative to expectation? You know, they've been very tight lipped on it. um, And part of that is it's, they're now almost separate companies, right? Like diamond sports is being run as its own entity. They just brought in a new president. So I think, you know, I, I'm not sure that we're going to get very many details on the the performance of it. You know, like every investor call, they'll always say that it's, you know, trending towards expectations or meeting expectations on this individual metric, whether it's churn or whatever. It is, you know, exceeding expectations. Um, I think if you really look at whether it's succeeding or failing, I I personally don't hear a ton about it. Um, and I think the the biggest area of where you can kind of tell what's happening is the fact that we're going to MLB season and they still have only announced rights to five MLB teams. And, you know, what's that is to me the biggest challenge. You have five MLB teams, NHL season ends and NBA season ends around the same time. And if you only have those five MLB teams, no one's going to think about this service for six months, right? And on top of it, part of the sell for them is being able to keep a consumer around all year round, yes. right? That is that is how this business has to work. That's the only way it can succeed. And there's some markets they can do that in. There's some that they can't. 
But unless they add more of those MLB rights, it's a pretty uphill battle to go regardless if a lot of people sign up for it for other uh, individual sports or teams. Yeah, that's a fair point because I'm using it right now for NBA and NHL, but I'm you know I'm paying month to month. I did not get the year because I don't. I knew that the rights for the Twins were not part of the equation right now. And if you can't watch the Twins in the summer, there's different programming. You get you'll get some links games, you'll get some other things, but you're not going to get much else if you are. And if you're a baseball fan and that's what you're after, you're right. There's about five months specifically, like May, June, July, August, September, that there's not going to be really unless you're really into certain things, there's not going to be much programming for you there. And that's a, that's tough. Cause then all of a sudden you're asking people to come back to you at a certain time and say, Hey, remember us, come, come watch the NHL and NBA and have them try to not be mad at you for not having baseball. It, it's definitely a curious uh, point. The final thing in this is, you know, as we talk about the league starting to recoup revenue, I haven't heard a whole lot of the gambling aspect pieced into this, for a while. It feels like that was a big part of the Bally's kind of rebrand and kind of what they were talking about for a while. That talk seems to have, I don't know, maybe just in my circles, it seems to have dissipated a little bit. How do you think that eventually might get incorporated into whatever model we see going forward from, you know, whether it's the leagues or teams or the existing model going forward? I always thought that that was the way they were going to bridge the gap between the cost the fan wants to pay and their willingness and and the actual cost of the rights. Like I thought where this was going to end up is that if someone bet a certain amount, they would get something like Valley Sports Plus for free. And obviously not every market has legal sports betting, but the ones that did like that seems like a logical way where people are spending money elsewhere. You can monetize the consumer in other ways than having them directly pay for a subscription. I think there has been a, you know, a dry up a little bit of the euphoria around sports betting. If you look at the marketing spend from, you know, guys like DraftKings and FanDuel and Barstool, it's gone down substantially over time, um, mostly because cash is more expensive now. Than, than it once was. So I think that's been part of the reason you're not hearing about it. Like you saw a lot of these media companies use this as a way to prop up their stock price for a while. Fubo was really into sports betting and, you know, launching at certain markets, they shut down their sports betting business. You know, Sinclair did it a little bit differently where they partnered with someone to do it. But I think that was part of the messaging around Bally Sports Plus initially is step one was we're going to let you watch it the same way as TV everywhere. Step two, we were going to do, you know, free, you know, uh, in-game betting per se, where it wasn't with real money, it was with prizes. And then step three, we're going to layer in in-game um, betting. And I think the, the whole bankruptcy conversation and the difficulty around the business is kind of at least for now has quieted a lot of those conversations because I think they're just battling to survive on the existing model right now. So long story short, gambling aside, it feels like short term, not much is going to change in terms of how you're watching games, but you know, a year from now, two years from now, however long it takes is kind of anyone's guess. Is that, or is that kind of where we're at? Uh, I think one thing is for sure is that these sports rights aren't worth what, what diamond is paying for them i think what we don't know is what that ultimately means for the rsns themselves um and and others 
The one last thing I'll say that I think a lot of people aren't talking about, which could ultimately be the death knell of this, is uh, Diamond has a renewal with DirecTV at the end of this year. Um, they signed a contract a couple of years ago. They are by far their largest distributor of these RSNs. DirecTV needs Bally Sports. They lost Sunday Ticket, but Diamond Sports also needs DirecTV. The question is, who needs it more? And, you know, if they were to lose distribution there, I think this will rapidly unwind faster than anyone expects. Fascinating. Interesting stuff, as always. Jason Gerwin, go read his coverage at The Streamable. And uh, Jason, I don't know if there's going to be breaking news anytime soon, but uh, I'm sure we will find something interesting to catch up on uh, in a few months or so. So take care. Um, enjoy um, enjoy the new baby. Congrats again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Talk soon. Really interesting stuff from Jason Gerwin, as always. And I just think it's interesting to hear him talk about how the value of these deals is going to be less going forward and how are teams going to make that up if they need to at all. I mean, I think there's different revenue streams now than when they used to be more dependent on these local contracts, but money's money. I mean, the Twins get over $40 million from their Bally Sports North contract every year. If that, you know, is if that is significantly lower in future years or like Jason's talking about, if that impacts the NHL salary cap in future years because the Wild TV deal is less that is something to watch going forward because that impacts bottom line, that impacts players, and that impacts the quality of the product to a certain degree. So how that gets shaked, gets shaken out, how that gets passed on potentially to the consumer, I will be watching that, and so will Jason. Let's get to a couple things at the end here. Timberwolves get absolutely hammered by Denver. Wolves won by 30 the other night against Denver when Denver didn't send their good players to Minnesota. Yeah, they were all playing uh, Tuesday night, and the Wolves got completely dismantled. They were down by 30 after one quarter, and it didn't get much better from there. I don't know what else to say about this game other than that seemed like a very, A, unprofessional effort, and B, you know, the trade deadline just a couple days away from that game. Now Thursday afternoon, just a couple, you know, just a day away now. Um, I do wonder if the trade deadline impacts some players differently, if it hits a little differently for some guys who have been the subject of trade rumors. Guys like D'Angelo Russell, who did not have a good game. Guys like Naz Reed. Guys like Jalen Noel. I do wonder if that plays into their psyche at all in games like this. We'll see how it shows up against the Jazz um, on, on Wednesday night, if they can give a better effort in that game. I don't know, but not trying to give them a free pass. Just wondering if guys who are thinking about, are they going to be on the move? What What might this team look like a few days from now, if that is a factor in these games? But no excuse for the way they played against the Nuggets. That was a total mulligan, a total do-over if they get one, and uh, we'll see where they go from here. Let's finish with the cooler. It looks like what was old will be new again for the Wild. Ryan Hartman expected to rejoin the top line, centering Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello in the Wild play Wednesday night. Sam Steele had been in that top uh, top line center spot for a while now when Hartman struggled and was out with injury, but now Steele... Not much offensive production lately. Hartman gets re-elevated to that role. Had 34 goals, uh, really helping that line last season. But all of this underscores that the Wild does not still have that number one center. Underscores the setback they maybe had with Marco Rossi's development this year. Still down in Iowa after a really tough start to the year with the Wild. He's playing well down there. I get that. I don't think he's going to be the savior this year, though. Really underscoring the true need for a number one center. I think Hartman can help right now. 
He has done it in the past, was very good for them last year, had good chemistry with Kaprizov and Zuccarello, but they need to figure that out going forward. They need to figure out someone to be Kaprizov's number one, true number one center. I don't know exactly how that happens. Maybe it is the development eventually um, along the lines with, with some of those younger guys, but you know it hasn't, it hasn't happened yet. doesn't mean it can't happen at a certain point. I mean, guys like Matt Boldy have jumped up. He's a wing, of course, but you know we're, we're still waiting for... You know, waiting for that moment, waiting until they really define that true number one center. Maybe it'll be Rossi at some point. It just I don't think it'll be this year. That's holding them back this year. That 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 lack of the number one center right now holding them back. Maybe, like I said, maybe Hartman helps right now. Maybe reuniting that line, reuniting the the Erickson Eck, Felino, um, you know, Jordan Greenway line. Maybe that kind of gets them in gear after kind of a sputtering stretch here. A lot of their goals lately have been on the power play, which is fine. It's good to have those special teams going. They need to get some five-on-five five production. Maybe this is the, maybe this is kind of the stopgap to get there. But eventually, at some point, to get the full potential out of Kirill Kaprizov, you've got to pair him with the better center. And uh, I, I think that's just a frustration right now. It, it's hard to find that number one guy. I get it, but they've got to figure that. That's got to be Bill Guerin's number one priority in the offseason is figuring out how to get Kirill Kaprizov, that guy, going forward. That'll do it for today. Lavelli Neal III should join me on Thursday's show. Good stuff with him, I'm sure. Got a lot of things written down that I want to ask him about. Emmanuel Reynoso, maybe a little Aaron Rodgers stuff for him along the way, and a Kirk Cousins question for him. All of that expected on Thursday's show. We should have a ton of Wolves content on Friday coming off of the Thursday trade deadline, so look forward to that as well. Thank you for listening today. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.